Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. We're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. And in this great book, we're seeing Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God, the perfect man. He is the Savior and the Messiah. He has come to the earth to die on the cross, to pay for sin, to rise again, and, and to give eternal life to all who believe. As we continue, of course, in our study, we're seeing his ministry in northern Israel. He's showing his authority as the Savior, as the Messiah. This is a long chapter. It's got two parables and four miracles. And this morning we're going to finish by seeing, finish the chapter, that is, by seeing two miracles that are entwined together. He is showing that he indeed is the Christ, the Son of God. And he's shown this as we've gone through it by seeing his authority over nature and over disease and over demons and over death. And last time we saw him casting out the demons from that man. Well, this morning we're going to see his authority really over disease. Over this, We're going to see this woman who has this issue of blood, this hemorrhaging. We're going to see his authority over disease. And then over death because we're going to see that he raises this 12-year-old girl from the dead. Now, as we look at this section, I think two things stand out. One is Jesus and his authority. And that's what we've been seeing all the way through. That's why he's doing the miracles. He wants them to realize. He wants the people to see him as who he is, the, the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ. He wants that. And then second, another thing stands out in this passage is we're going to see faith. We're going to see two different people both have to trust Jesus. We're going to see one is a, a wealthy, powerful man. One apparently is a woman who is, is an outcast. But both have to trust Christ. And that's the key. And this is the key in our lives as we understand who Jesus is. He's our Savior, our Messiah. We must trust Him not only in the aspect of salvation, but trust Him in our Christian lives as well. Well, as we begin, you know, Romans 3.28 says we are justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Faith's the key. A person is declared to be right with God simply by faith. There are over 150 places. I, I used to say 154. A guy sent me a, a handout that's got 180-something places that they found that, that show that see, salvation is simply by faith. You think of Acts 16.31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the power of God. It's the power, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. The famous passage, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it is by grace you are saved through faith. Galatians 3, 26, you're all children of God by faith. Over and over we see that it is faith in Jesus Christ. The question sometimes is, what is faith? Faith is taking God at His word. It is to be assured of something. We trust God. We trust what He says is true. That's what faith is. This morning we're going to see two miracles. Jesus deals with disease and Jesus deals with death. And I think the key for the two people involved is faith. And as we look at this passage, Jesus' authority and people's faith. And it's true for us. We see who Jesus is, his authority. We think about our salvation. We say, who is Jesus? He is the Son of God. He died on the cross. He paid for sin. He rose again. He gives eternal life. And by faith, we trust in him and him alone for eternal life. Well, this morning, we're going to take a look at his authority and these people's faith. And let's remember where we are. Jesus, at the begin, it's not the beginning of his ministry. He's now getting about the middle of his ministry. He's still in northern Israel. He's showing that he is the Messiah by his words and his works. His words, his messages, his parables, his teachings, his works, the miracles that we see over and over. This chapter alone has four miracles. In fact, I've told you that, that chapter, you know, chapter 6 was long, chapter 7 is long, chapter 8 is long, chapter 9 is long. And all these long passages that Luke gives us, he's showing us over and over what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is teaching. We've seen the first two of the miracles in this, pa in this uh, chapter where he calmed the sea and he cast out the demons. Well, this morning there are two more, and we're going to see Jesus heals the woman with the issue of blood. That's verses 40 through 48. And then Je 
Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. That's 49 through 56. They're really intertwined in this as we look at it, though. As we begin, remember where Jesus is. He he and his disciples are coming back to Capernaum. They had gone to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to a place called Gadala. We're not sure exactly. We know it was the place called the Gesserines or the Gadarenes. Sometimes it's just pronounced and and different uh, manuscripts have different places, all that little area. And they healed a man, or Jesus healed a man who had been possessed by many demons, very powerful. When that happened, which was so incredible, here was this man who, who just wore no clothes, tore off his chains, cut himself with rocks, controlled by many demons, laid out, stayed out basically in the, in the graveyard. And when he was healed, we saw two responses. The people in the area said, please leave us. They wanted Jesus to leave. We thought they would be saying, come into the town and take care of all our people. But they didn't. They says they were afraid. Maybe they were afraid they were going to lose more of their property. But they wanted Jesus to leave. But we saw the man. The man wanted to go with Jesus. He said, I want to go with you. And Jesus said, no, I want you to go back to your home. Go back to where you live. Go back to your place. And tell people what great things God has done. They're now getting in the boat and they're coming back to Capernaum. And as they come back to Capernaum, they're met by this huge crowd. And I, I see a great contrast because in Gadala there was rejection. They were wanting them to leave. But in Capernaum, the people, they're accepting him. They're waiting for him to come back. And as we see this passage, I want you to think about history and culture because we're going to talk about some of the different things in there because if you just read it really quickly, you may miss a few of the things. And we're going to slow it down and list a couple of places so that you won't miss some of the history and the culture. But we see the authority of Jesus and the faith of these two people. Well, let's see what happens. These two miracles are entwined. First, we're going to meet a man named Jairus. He's got a sick daughter. And then we're going to meet the woman who has the hemorrhaging, the issue of blood, as some of our Bibles read it. Look at verse 40. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. Now, as he's returned, because he's, he's just healed this man with all the demons inside of him, he's just cast out those demons, he said the people were waiting for him. They had all been waiting for him. In fact, literally it says they're expecting him. They were watching for him to come back. You know, he has done so many things in this area, and they've been seeing his ministry. Now, when he gets back, you say, oh, this is great. I mean, he just left the place, and they were asking him, please leave. When he comes back here, they're going, please come. We're glad that you're here. But there's a problem. Notice. Verse 41, and there was a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. Now, we meet this man named Jairus, and it says he's an official of the synagogue. It's really, the, the literal says he's the ruler of the synagogue, and there was, a, there was an office called the Arch of Synagosis. That was the man who, who headed up the synagogue. This position was very powerful. It was third in all Israel. There was the high priest, there were the chief priests, which were a number of priests, and then every ruler of every synagogue was considered third in that sense. So it was a very powerful position, very respected position, and usually the person that had that position was wealthy. So they, this, this is a person who is the official of the synagogue. And uh, he ordered the services. He decided who would read. He, he made sure everything was in order. He would pick the person to read the scripture. He would sometimes pick the person who was going to speak that day. He was in charge of the synagogue. Now, for just a second, I want to remind you what a synagogue is. A synagogue, the Greek word means to be gathered together. What it was is where the Jewish people would meet together for worship. Now, when the nation, up until the captivity, they would all center everything around the temple. But they went into captivity. And when they were in captivity in Babylon and Assyria and those other places, they didn't have a temple. And so they began to meet in small groups. They would gather together and they would worship God and they would read the scripture. That's called a gathering together or a synagogue or the synagogue. 
after the captivity, when they got to come back, they decided as people that they would still have their temple when it was all built back and everything, but they would keep meeting in these small groups called the synagogues. And what we find is that in any town, you had to have at least ten Jewish men, ten men, to have a synagogue. You couldn't have it if you didn't have ten men. The men and women worshipped at the same time, but they worshipped usually in separate places. There was usually a division between men in one place and women in the other in the synagogue. Usually there was this archisynagosis, the ruler of the synagogue, who would run the whole thing. He has come to Jesus. Now, I want you to see something that's incredible. He, he came and fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. Now, this man is very powerful, and he's a powerful man, but he's coming. His daughter is sick. We'll find out in just a minute. He believes, apparently believes, that Jesus can heal his daughter. And he fell at Jesus' feet. I mean, this is powerful. He's showing an act of worship. He's showing something. He's saying, Jesus, you are the only one that can help me. He is begging. It says he implored. He began to implore. And the way it's written in the Greek, he was asking over and over, would you come to my house? Would you come to my house? My daughter's sick. My 12-year-old daughter's sick. She's dying. We don't know what's going to happen. We think she's going to die. If you'll hurry up and come, would you please come? He kept saying it over and over the way it's written in the Greek. One of the other Gospels actually says, I want you to come to my house and touch my daughter so she can be made well. He goes on to explain, or Luke explains for us, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. Now, notice he says he had an only daughter, 12 years old. You know, it reminds us of when Jesus went into the city of Nain, and coming out of the city of Nain was the widow, and she had just lost her only son. He had died, and Jesus raised him from the dead. Now, here's this man with his only daughter. She's about 12 years old, and she was dying. The way it's written, it says she was in the process of dying. She's about to die. In fact, in that day and time, somebody said, listen, there's nothing that can be done. She's going to die. It's just a matter of time. And Jairus says, I'm, I'm going to find that Jesus and I'm going to get him here to heal her. She's 12 years old. Do you realize that that day and time, she's just about to be considered a woman? She's the young woman. Do you realize that at this age and any time after this, she could be marrying age? So he's saying, my little 12-year-old daughter is about to die. This is just about the prime of her life. This is when she should be, just have such a great life. And she's dying. He wants Jesus to come to his house and heal his daughter. And you can see Jesus, him coming up to Jesus and say, would you please come? And Jesus says, in a sense, we're going to see Jesus is going. And you can see Jairus going, let's go, let's hurry. We've got, we got to go fast. We've got to go as fast as we can because she could die. We know this, that he believes Jesus can heal his daughter. He believes that. He wants Jesus to come. There's a problem. Notice the problem. Halfway through verse 42, but as he went... The crowds were pressing against him. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those really big crowds. I've gone to some football games, and when the game's over, it's just packed, and you're trying to get out, and everybody's walking like this. And I mean, it's just mess, and you just everybody's everywhere. Do you realize Jesus is trying to get to Jared? You can see Jared saying, come on, come on, let's go. And there's people everywhere, and they're pushing, and there's Jesus going. They're just all around him. And the original language says, it says they were pressing against him. The word means to be choked. 
It's that same word we saw back over in the parable when it says those, those weeds came up and choked out the plant, just crushed it around it. As Jesus is going, there's so many people and they're just all over him and they're just, you know, pushing and it's just a crowd and he's trying to get through, you know, trying to get through the streets. You may have been in crowds like that. You may have been in something like that and you know what it feels like. How do you feel? How do you think Jairus felt? He's thinking, what are these people doing here? Can we get these people out of the way? Don't they understand my daughter is dying? We got to get Jesus there as quickly as possible and all these people are in the way. Something happens. We go meet the second person and that's the woman. Verse 43. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Now we meet this woman. She had had hemorrhage bleeding for 12 years. Now this was ongoing. One of the other gospels says that she had gone to many doctors and had spent all of her money, everything that she had, and nothing ever helped. This one says, and she could not be healed by anyone. Now, I want you to notice something or realize something. That bleeding under the Mosaic law, any bleeding made you unclean. That meant she could not touch anybody and nobody could touch her. She was isolated. In a sense, it was almost the same as leprosy. Because if you had bleeding, you were considered unclean. And so for 12 years, this woman has been isolated most likely from her family, from any of her friends. And she says... I am going to get to Jesus. And if somehow I can just touch him, I'm going to be healed. She believes. You see her faith. You see faith by Jairus. He believes that Jesus can get there and touch his daughter. She'll be well. This woman believes that she can just get to Jesus and touch him. She will be well. What a contrast between the daughter, 12 years old, 12 years of happiness, and the woman, the bleeding Twelve years of sadness. This issue in human terms, I want you to think about it for a second. The daughter's dying. We better get there as quick, quickly as we can. Just get there. Now, this woman, look, she's had this disease for twelve years. If she's gone twelve years, she can go another hour. Right? That's what we'd think. If we're human beings, we're just thinking, look... If she uh, look, just stand over the other side, you can see him later. We're in a real hurry. That's how we'd think about it. <clears throat> she has a plan. Verse 44. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately, immediately, her hemorrhage stopped. You know, she wasn't supposed to touch anybody. She's in that crowd. You think she's touched anybody in that crowd? You think anybody's touched her in that crowd? If the people who were rubbing up against her, and she was, if they knew who she was... They'd all be going, what do you think you're doing? You're not supposed to be out here among all these people. She comes up and touches the fringe of his cloak and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Now, I want you to understand something. All Jewish men wore something like a shawl, went over their heads and had the four corners. And on each of the four corners there were these tassels. And they were particular colors. And the tassels were there for a reason. I want to read this to you. This is from Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 through 39. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and tell them that they shall make for themselves tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and that they shall put on the tassels of each corner a cord of blue. 
And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord as so to do them. The Jewish men had these shawls and they had four corners and on each of the four corners were these tassels and there was a blue cord on each one. And as a Jewish man would see those tassels, it was to remind him of the word of God, the commandments, and that he was to obey the word of God. That's what it was for. She comes up and touches the fringe of his cloak. The fringe was the tassel. Mark chapter 5, verse 29, she says, If I can just touch him, I will be made well. She believes that Jesus could heal her. We see two people with faith. Jairus who believes that Jesus can heal his daughter. All he's got to do is get there and touch her. And this woman who has faith that just believes that she can just touch Jesus, she'll be made well. Well, you know what happened? As soon as she touched him, what happened? She came up behind him, touched the fringe of the cloak, and immediately, that exact second, her hemorrhage stopped. She stopped bleeding. For 12 years she said this, and immediately it's all. Instantly. What a miracle. See the contrast? Jira says, come touch my daughter. She says, I just want to touch Jesus. She had a plan. Touch Jesus, be well, slip away. Slip through the crowd. I mean, it's such a big crowd, who's going to ever notice her? That's what she's thinking. But notice verse 45. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? Somebody touched me. (laughs) Somebody touched me. And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. Jesus says, Somebody touched me. And everybody's going, I don't think we did. I didn't touch you. I didn't touch you. And Peter says, With all these people and everybody's pushing and shoving, and you're saying, Who touched you? You know, hundreds of people have touched you. What do you mean, who touched you? And Jesus said in verse 46, Somebody did touch me, for I'm aware that power has gone out from me. Do you think Jesus knew who it was that touched him? Of course he did. He knows everything. Why would he say, "Uh -uh, somebody touched me? He knows everything. He knows that woman. He knows everything that's happened. He says, the power has gone out from me. You know what he wants? He wants her to say, it's me. And, you know, I'm completely healed. That's what he wants. Now, while this is happening, can you see Jairus going, why are we stopping? Who's talking about touching? We'll talk about touching later. Let's just get to my house. But he says, somebody touched me. The power has gone out from me. Verse 47, when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how that she had been immediately healed. It said when she realized she was not escaping notice. You know what I think happened? I mean, I'm just, I'm thinking Jesus looked around and looked right at her and said, I wonder who touched me. She couldn't escape notice and she realized it. And so what did she do? Trembling. She fell down before him, an act of worship. And she declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she came. She said, I've had this bleeding for 12 years. Most some of you know who I am. You know me. And, and I just knew that if I could just touch Jesus, I would be made well. And she said, and I touched him and immediately I was well. Immediately. What a testimony. She believed Jesus would heal her and he did. 
What did Jesus say to her? Verse 48, and he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Literally, the Greek says, Your faith has saved you. The Greek word sozo, which means to save. And I think there's a dual meaning here. I think he's saying, Not only has your faith, by believing that I would heal you, you are healed. But I think her faith saved her in a sense for eternal life because she realizes Jesus is God. She realizes He's the Messiah and the Savior. I think she's believing Him as Messiah and Savior, that He is the one who has saved her both physically and spiritually. Because notice what He says at the end, Go in peace. Romans 5.1, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. He's telling her to go in peace because now she can have peace with God. Because of faith. It's true for all of us. All of us by faith in Jesus Christ. We believe Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin and rose again. We trust in Him. We have eternal life. The key for salvation is faith when we trust in Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Romans 3, 28. We're all sons of God, children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 4, 5. To the one who does not work but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. How do we come to Christ? How do we come? We come by faith. It's not our works, but it is faith in Jesus Christ. The object of our faith is Jesus. We trust in Him as the one who died and rose again for us. Well, at this time, what do you think Jairus is thinking? Could we come on? This could have ha- we could have done- you could have come back on this woman. She just said been having this for twelve years. My daughter is at the verge of death, and we're stopping to help some woman who's had something for twelve years. Surely she could wait another hour. That's what Jairus is probably thinking. What would you be thinking? Would you get the people out of the way? We got to get to my house as quickly as possible. But what happened when while he was still speaking. While Jesus was saying to this woman, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Your daughter has died. Sometimes when you read the Bible and, and you know, you, you, you go so fast. Yesterday I got a call from a very close friend of mine. I've known her since about 1988, 89. She was a college student here and she worked in our office and I did her wedding and I've known her and she called me yesterday and she said, uh, JB, my daddy just died. So I went to the hospital at Stillwater to be with her and stood with her while her, while she was with her dad. How would you feel when they said, don't bother him anymore, she's already dead? It's too late. You didn't get here in time. That's the problem. It's too late. Don't, don't trouble the teacher anymore. What's impossible with people is possible with God. If you're Jairus in your mind, you say, why couldn't we have gotten there? Why did he have to have all these people? Why did he have to stop? Why did all this have to happen? He believed Jesus could heal his daughter if he got there and touched her. What's he going to have to believe now? 
Look what Jesus says to him, verse 50. But Jesus, when Jesus heard this, he answered him and said, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe and she will be made well. Look what he says, and it really goes together. Literally in the Greek he says, Stop being afraid and start believing. Stop being afraid about this. No longer be afraid. You start believing. He's going to have to have faith that Jesus can raise her from the dead. If he believed that Jesus could heal her, he's going to have to believe that Jesus can raise her from the dead. The object of his faith must be Jesus. And that's the key for us. The object of our faith is our Savior Jesus. We believe that he saves us, that uses us, empowers us, protects us, provides for us. Over and over it's faith in Jesus. Well, what happens? And we'll go quickly. What happens when he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. The other Gospels tell us, it's a little bit, give us a little bit more detail because this basically just says, when they got to the house, he let nobody go in but the big three, Peter, James, and John, and the mother and the daddy. These three, Peter, James, and John, are with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They're the same ones that Jesus picked in when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's three guys that seem to be in the inner circle with Christ. The other Gospels tell us when they got there, there were all these people outside of the home mourning and weeping and crying. They were what they call professional mourners. In that day and time, when a person died, they were buried that day. As soon as a person died, they called in. If they were wealthy, like this man was, they would call in professional mourners. So they'd be crying and weeping. And so everybody around could tell there's a great sadness in the home. So when Jesus gets there, there's all these people moaning and crying and Jesus, by the line, says, everybody out. The only people that can go in are Peter, James, and John, and the mama and the daddy. Notice what happens. It says he wouldn't let anybody go in. That, that why? And they were all weeping and lamenting for her. That's the professional mourners. He said, stop weeping. She has not died but is asleep. He says that to all these people. One of the other gospels says he turned to these mourners and said, she's just asleep. He's referring to her physical death. He's going to wake her up. And notice what they did, verse 53, they began laughing at him knowing that she had died. That really means to make fun of him. Some of those people were making fun of Jesus like, who do you think you are? You don't even know what you're talking about. She's dead. We saw her dead. She's not asleep. One of the gospels says he put them all out. Going in with Peter, James, and John and the mom and the daddy, he took her by the hand, verse 54, and called, spoke, saying, child. Arise. One of the other Gospels says, Little girl, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up immediately. Notice the word immediately. It's the same. That woman touched Jesus. Immediately she was healed. He said that to the little girl. Immediately her spirit returned and she got up. And you know what he did? He said, Somebody give this girl something to eat. Why? Not that she was hungry. She may have been hungry. But the point is, she's a real person. She can eat. Give her something to eat. Her parents were amazed. The word means marveled. He can do anything. He says, tell nobody what happened. How is that going to work? Because most of those people around there knew that she died. And they're going to see her in the next day or two walking around. And the word's going to spread. Now, what Jesus wants to do is put the focus on his message and not his miracles. He wants people to hear the message of salvation. That's why a lot of times he'll tell people, don't go tell what I just did. We see two, pay, two people, their faith in Jesus 
Two miracles. What have we seen? Well, he comes back and he's welcomed by this crowd. And Jairus' daughter, Jairus comes up and he says, My daughter's dying. Would you please come touch her so she can be healed? As they're going, there's this huge crowd. They're pushing around him. This woman has had this bleeding for 12 years. She tries to touch him. And, and when she does, the moment she touches him, she is made well. Jesus stops and says, Who touched me? And finally he points her out. She points herself out. And he says, Go in peace. And then they come and say, it's too late. Your daughter's died. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. Stop being afraid. Start believing. And he gets there and gets all those people out who are laughing when he says she's just asleep. He's saying, get these people out of here. They don't know what's going on. Only Peter, James, and John and mom and daddy. And he raises her from the dead. Just like that. Applications. We must put our faith in Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He is God. We must trust in Him and Him alone. We must take Him at His word. A faith means to trust. It means to be assured. It means to take God at His word. That's what faith is. You believe what Jesus Christ says, what the word of God says. You believe what God says. B, the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. He is the object of our faith. We trust in Him and Him alone. I've heard people say things like, trust in the death and resurrection of Christ. No, you trust in Christ who died and rose again. There's a difference there. The object of your faith is Jesus Christ. He is the Savior, John 14, 6, way, truth, and life. He is the one who gives us strength, Philippians 4, 13. You can do all things through the one who strengthens you. He's the one that takes care of you and provides every need, Philippians 4, 19. My God shall supply all your needs. We put our faith in Jesus. And so, trust in Christ, for not only for salvation, that you trust in Him and Him alone to give you eternal life, but you trust in Him daily as you live by the Word of God and you believe that what He said and with the promises and the commands and the principles, they're from Him. We trust in Him. We need to be men and women of faith. We trust in Christ for eternal life, and I hope and pray that everyone in this room has already trusted in Christ. If you haven't, right where you're sitting right now, you can believe that Jesus died for you and rose again. You can trust in Him and Him alone that He would give you eternal life immediately. And by faith in Him, you have eternal life. Second thing is think about Jesus has all authority over disease and death. He does. He is the Savior. He's conquered death. He's the one who died and rose again. And in His passage, somebody could say, it's too late. She's already died. It's never too late. Because he has authority over death. One day he will raise all people from the dead. John 11.25, he's the resurrection and the life. Nothing is impossible for him. May we trust our Savior, Jesus Christ, knowing that he has all authority over disease and over death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these truths. Lord, we realize that our faith must be in Jesus. That means to trust in Him alone. He is the object of our faith. He is the one who died and rose again. He gives us eternal life. He is the one that strengthens us. He's the one who provides and protects. We trust in Him not only for salvation, but for daily. Lord, we realize that He has all authority over sickness and disease and death. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to Him anytime, anyplace, anywhere, about anything. Thank you for our Savior. May we be men and women of faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.